from the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We'll start today talking about the Detroit Institute of Arts and the millage renewal that Southeast Michigan voters will decide on Tuesday. Should taxpayer money go to support one of our premier cultural institutions? Then we're going to talk with a panel that represents disparate communities about what they expect to happen in tomorrow's Democratic presidential primary. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. I'm really glad you have joined us. You might be thinking a lot about how you're going to vote in tomorrow's Democratic presidential primary. But there are also other important questions on your ballot, including a millage renewal for the Detroit Institute of Arts. Voters of the Tri-County area approved a 10-year millage for the DIA back in 2012. It passed easily in Wayne and Oakland counties and was narrowly approved by Macomb County voters. Now the museum is seeking a 10-year renewal that would begin in 2022. In a little bit, we're going to be joined by the DIA's director and ask him why he thinks you should vote yes on that question. But first, WDET's Laura Herberg took a deep dive into the millage and this week's ballot question. Here's her report. On an average school day, about 500 kids come through the Detroit Institute of Arts. This morning, sixth graders from Berkeley's Anderson Middle School stare up at a 10 by 10 foot painting by Kahinde Wiley. Don't take ice tea. Guys, he's wearing Timberlands. The portrait shows a black man in a white tank top and jeans, mounted on a white horse with a sword in his hands. What do you think it is? It could just be a random person. It could just be a random person holding a sword. A, yeah, it is. Wiley depicts black men he meets on the street in versions of historic paintings. This particular portrait is modeled after a painting from 1812 of a French cavalry officer. There's a little picture of the original piece next to Wiley's. One of the students looks back and forth between the two works. Oh! Oh, I get it! So that is basically that. But it's just African-American. The bus that these students came down on was paid for with funds raised from the DIA millage. The millage was introduced in 2012 to help a then-struggling museum pay for day-to-day operations and build its endowment. Officials said then that within 10 years, the institution would raise $400 million and would not need to ask for a millage renewal. With just two years left until the tax expires, the DIA's annual operating budget has increased, And its endowment is more than $100 million short of its goal. Museum director Salvador Salort Pons was recently asked about this on WDET's Culture Shift. When in 2012 we said that we were going to get that endowment up to $400 million, we didn't know that the city of Detroit was going to go in bankruptcy. 
During the bankruptcy negotiations of 2014, there was talk of selling off the museum's art to fund city pensions. Salart Pond says in order to keep the city of Detroit from doing that, the museum raised millions of dollars that could have otherwise gone toward its endowment. Now, he says, the DIA is asking for a millage renewal because the tax revenue has changed the way the museum operates. In the past, we were an organization that, generally speaking, was looking a little bit inwards, Thanks to this millage and the service agreement that we have with the Oakland, Wayne, and Macomb counties, we are now out facing. The service agreement spells out what the DIA is doing for county residents in exchange for paying the millage. In addition to funding transportation to the museum for school kids, the DIA also provides free buses to the museum for senior groups. 12 and 13. You guys stay right here. On a recent Thursday, dozens of seniors came to the DIA from Canton, Clawson, St. Clair Shores, and other cities. One of the groups is from a church in Detroit's Brightmoor neighborhood. A volunteer tour guide is taking them through an exhibit on African-American art owned by local collectors. She stops them in front of a black and white print of a mother cradling her children. There's a sadness in this figure's eyes, you know, the mother's eyes, there's sadness and yet there's a caringness and a lovingness. Carlton Kurtz is a minister with the church group on this tour. I've never been to the DI. This is my first time here and um, I've never seen a lot of black art that I've seen here today. So it's real impressive. While Kurtz is impressed, he says he's not sure yet what way he'll vote on the DIA's millage renewal this month. Uh, I had to look at it and see everything that's covered in it and stuff first before I make a, a, a judgment or a decision on it. Sterling Heights resident Marge Starr came down with a different church group. She says she voted for the DIA millage in 2012, but she's been unsure about doing so again since she rarely comes to the museum. Well, first of all, the driving down, they're working on 75, and that's where we would come. And then parking, and you, know, you, you get ideas about downtown and all that. And I, mean, I don't mean just getting mugged, but tripping over things. I'm at that age, you know, so. Starr's reluctance to visit the museum is something she shares with many of her fellow Macomb County residents. DIA attendance for the county has been trending downward after spiking the first year after the millage. But Starr says her experience today, coming down on the DIA bus, has changed her perspective. She's now planning to vote yes on the renewal. Well, you know, I was hesitant till I came down today, and now I think it's really worth it. This is just so wonderful to come down like this, you know, for free, too, and we can come anytime. But one state lawmaker from the northern part of Macomb County says his constituents shouldn't have to pay for the millage renewal even if it passes. State Representative Jeff Yarick introduced a bill that would allow communities to opt out of paying for the tax the same way residents can opt out of paying a smart bus tax. Yarick, who represents residents in Armada, Richmond, Memphis, and nearby towns, says he introduced the bill because most of his communities voted against the millage last time. The DIA is an asset in another county. And if Northern Macomb County feels that this is not something that they want to help contribute to, they should have the opportunity to opt out. Yarick would not share how he's personally planning to vote on the DIA millage, but he says he has visited the museum. I'm very disappointed that uh, in 2012 people were told that they get free admission and then surprise after it passes, well, we didn't really mean special exhibits. 
Residents of the Tri-County area currently receive unlimited free regular admission. Entrance for other patrons ranges from $6 for youth to $14 for adults. Everyone except members have to pay extra for special exhibits. If the two-tenths of a mill tax is renewed, then a family with a house worth $100,000 would continue to pay $10 a year for the millage. The current millage expires in 2022. Voters head to the polls on March 10th. I'm Laura Herberg, WDET News. And a reminder that the DIA is not the only proposal that residents will see on their ballots Tuesday. There are several local millages across the Tri-County area, mostly focused on school funding. And you can find more details on all of the local proposals at WDET.org. Okay, joining us now to talk more about the millage for the DIA is Salvador Salor Pons, the director of the Detroit Institute of Art. Salvador, great to see you here. Good morning and thank you. Thanks for being here. All right, so let's talk about why the DIA collects taxes from people in these three counties to support its operations. Well, I think uh, we need to focus on two things mainly. First of all, this is not a new tax. This is not an increase on the current millage. This is just to keep things the way they are. And things the way they are are as follows. If someone in Oakland, Winnemacon County, a resident, owns a house that is worth $100,000, this individual paying taxes to the DIA every year, $10. In exchange for that, there's free and limited general admission to the DIA and to many of our exhibitions. And when an exhibition is ticketed, they get a significant discount. Two, we have a robust free school program, and we pay for the buses. And we have increased school visitation from 30,000 prior to 2012 to today almost 90,000 students. The third part is a free senior program. We didn't have senior program before 2012. And finally, we have a very strong uh, free uh, community partnership program. I think the value proposition is amazing. This is $10, less than $1 a month. Yeah. So... um why are you asking voters to renew this millage two years early? We just did this in 2012. That's correct. And, uh, you know, uh, we are following here the example of the zoo. And uh, the DIA, which went two years in advance, the DIA is an organization that is run like a business. We are planning. We are aligning our resources, building our teams to make sure that we can continue providing the service agreement that we have with the Tri-County residents. And if you don't get this millage renewal, what would happen to the DIA? What would this museum be like without this money? Well, we will have to go back to the levels of service that we have in 2012. And I said we were serving 30,000 students. Today, we are serving 90,000 students. In 2012, we were welcoming 300,000 visitors. Today, we welcome 700,000 visitors. Into the, before 2012, we didn't have senior program. Now we have a senior program. Before 2012, we didn't have a free community partnership program. And now we have a free community partnership program that really takes the museum beyond the walls of the DA. So that's what would happen. Yeah. Um, we heard in Laura Herberg's report about Republican lawmakers who want to give the ability to opt out of what they're calling the art tax. Give us your reaction to that idea. I think that would be very unfortunate. You know, just look at the uh, school program and the uh, school districts, how they, uh, these school di districts really 
are placed in different communities. If a community uh, opts out, then how is that school district going to be affected? How are we going to get organized? I think it's, it's not a good idea. Mm. Um, when, you, when you talk about this millage and this money from taxpayers, one of the things that we were told in 2012 was that the money would help the DIA build its endowment to the point where it wouldn't have to come back and ask for millage money again. And yet, here you are, eight years later, asking us to renew for <clears throat> another 10 years. Give us an idea of why that happened and why that's not a breach of the agreement that you made with voters back in 2012. We continue to build an endowment. It's a priority for us. <clears throat> in 2012, the endowment was around $90 million. Today, it's around $240 million. So, We've been raising funds uh, to strengthen our endowment for operations. Our goal is to be financially independent. In the meantime, as all of you know, the city of Detroit went bankrupt. <clears throat> and the museum needed to raise $100 million for the city so they could pay the pension of the pensioners. So basically that set us back in our endowment efforts. And uh, what I can tell you is that we continue to fundraise and we are going into different communities that we have not been present in the past. And we have received support from the Japanese community, from the Indian community. And this is great news, not only because it's strengthening our endowment for operations, but also because the museum starts to represent many different communities that were not represented in the way we wanted at the DIA. Hmm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. Uh, my guest is Salvador Salar Pons. He is the director of the Detroit Institute of Arts. We're talking about the millage renewal that the DIA is asking voters to approve tomorrow, Tuesday, when we go to cast our ballots for the Michigan primary. Uh, give us a call if you want to have... Uh, us hear your thoughts on the DIA millage uh, up for a 10-year renewal this week. Do you support the idea that taxpayers should be supporting the museum? Or do you think you'd rather see your tax dollars go to other things? Would you rather see the museum be independent and not dependent on those tax dollars? Call in and tell us what you love about the museum and maybe what kinds of programming you'd like to see the DIA offer that maybe you don't have right now. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Uh, or you can uh, go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Salvador, before we get to listeners, um, uh, will this millage always have to be part of the DIA's financial structure? Or... Is there a plan to be able to operate the museum without this tax money at some point? We're going to leave that to the leaders of the future of the museum. You know, right now, when in 2012, the legislation in Lansing allowed the DI to go for a millage with uh, the community, the legislator allowed for 20 years. We have used 10 years. We are asking the voters to let us use the second 10 years so we can continue operating that way. And and do you anticipate that you will be able at some point to make up what you've lost in endowment building because of things like the bankruptcy? I mean, that's that's it was a you know a tragic occurrence for the entire region, and it caused a lot of people to have to 
to, to change the, their financial plans because of the grand bargain. But at some point, does that come back around and go away so that you're able to make up that money uh, and and have a better sort of, I guess, foundation for, for the museum finances? We were very glad to give that money to the city of Detroit. It were $100 million. It was helping a very good cause, the pension of the pensioners. And we always collaborate with the city. We are a museum that is at the heart of the city of Detroit. We are working very hard to fundraise for the museum. As I mentioned before, in the last eight years, we have made significant progress from 90 million to around 240 today. My goal and the goal of the development team is to really get the endowment up to 400 million by 2022, and eventually by 2032 be at 600 million. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to AJ in Sterling Heights. AJ, what's on your mind? Hi. Uh, so I am a student with Oakland Community College. I also happen to do work study there. So I actually take part in events like uh, DIA Presents uh, Dancing and Music with the Wolves. Uh, you, uh, Stephen, came back and did narration for that back in October. Mm-hmm. Um and I believe that programs like this, which are free to the community, um, can't go on without the millage. You know, we had so many families with young children come in and watch the Eisenhower Dance Company and the Chamber Orchestra. And to have the DIA back this at OCC has been just a wonderful service to come and see. Hmm. Uh, AJ, I really appreciate the call and the perspective. I mean, Salvador, that's one of the things that I think is universal, even among people who don't necessarily like the idea of the millage or taxes. The the things that we get for those things here in Southeast Michigan really do matter in in our cultural spaces. Yeah, and we have a wonderful uh, community partnership program with OCC that is going very well and we're providing inside out uh, in the uh, campus as well as VTS training to the teachers and I was honored to speak in commencement day a couple years ago at OCC. It's a great uh, organization in Oakland County and we're very proud to work with them. Yeah. Again, AJ, thanks for the call and the comments. Let's go to John on the east side. John, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking my call. So mm-hmm. I just have like a twofold question. So if you were to put comparables on this $10 that, that might cost a household, what would the same household be paying for prisons and, and the wars and everything else that I don't agree on? And the second question is, what, can we put numbers to uh, visitors that come to this city? to see this wonderful collection and perhaps maybe even choose to, to live in this region? Mm. Yeah. Uh, John, I appreciate the call and, and the questions. Uh, Salvador, talk about the DIA, again, as a magnet, an international magnet for Detroit, for people who are not just interested in art, but, but people who are interested in, in, in culture. Absolutely. You know, the museum is one of the top five museums in the country and one of the best museums in the world. It has an extraordinary collection and we have not only art, but we do music and we do a number of performances in the museum that really attracts individuals from all over the region. This summer, for example, 
we are opening a couple of amazing exhibitions. One is on car design, and we're bringing into the building 12 cars designed and made in Detroit between 1950 and the present. And we are talking about the creativity of car designers. We believe it is part of the uh, walls of the museum. We believe, believe it's part of uh, the creativity of artists, like other artists that we show at the DI. And the second exhibition that we are doing is an exhibition on Van Gogh. We are the first museum in the United States to buy a painting by Van Gogh in 1922. We are bringing to Detroit 68 or 69 Van Goghs. This is going to be the only venue for the exhibition. We're going to tell the history of collecting Van Goghs in America, and we have the responsibility to do so. And we're going to attract visitors from all over the world to see these two shows. Uh, again, John, thanks very much for the call uh, and the questions. Let's go quickly to Marianne in downtown Detroit. Marianne, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks very much, yep. and thanks for this good discussion. Sure. And also, congratulations uh, to the DIA and what it's doing. The question I have, though, is there are two years still remaining in the existing millage, and at the present time, um, there is such a move toward collaboration uh, in the city. And I'm wondering whether there might be a, an advantage to the DIA uh, not uh, moving forward singly toward this millage uh, at this point, two years early, uh, and rather collaborating with the other institutions in the cultural plaza, like the library, um, the Science Museum, the Charles Wright Museum, rather than kind of forefronting that two years in advance. There is kind of a two-year period here mm. before this becomes an emergency, and I'm wondering if it could be kind of creatively addressed to the uh, betterment of the whole community. Yeah, great question, Marian. Uh, uh, Salvador, go ahead and, and answer that. So we collaborate with the Detroit Historical Museum, with the library, the Charles Rice CCS, and the other organization in Midtown Detroit. And you mentioned uh, very, very well the uh, cultural project, uh, Midtown Connections, and that that is fantastic. That's going to help make uh, this cultural district one of the most extraordinary cultural districts in the country. In the meantime, we use our millage to support other organizations through our community partnership program. And we've done a number of uh, programs uh, with uh, the Charles Wright, and also we have collaborated with the Detroit Historical in the famous exhibition, Detroit 67, and other things. So we are really using, and as much as we can, the benefits of this millage to benefit the other institutions. Okay, Salvador Salor Pons, director of the Detroit Institute of Arts. Thanks for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. Yep. All right, up next, we're going to talk with three people here in Metro Detroit about how different groups of voters in Southeast Michigan are thinking about the presidential election ahead of tomorrow's Democratic primary. Stay with us on Detroit Today. WDET, Detroit's NPR station, celebrating 70 years of radio in Detroit. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you joined us. Michigan's presidential primary is tomorrow, and the field of more than 20 candidates on the Democratic side has effectively narrowed down to two, former Vice President Joe Biden and Vermont Senator 
Bernie Sanders. How are different blocks of voters throughout Southeast Michigan thinking about tomorrow's choices? We have assembled an all-star panel of folks here in Southeast Michigan to talk about that issue. Osama Sablani is the publisher of the Arab American News. Osama, always great to have you here on Thank Detroit you. Today. Sheila Cockrell is the CEO of Citizen Detroit and a former Detroit City Council member. Sheila, great to see you as well. Glad to be here. And Dave Garcia is executive director of Affirmations, Michigan's largest LGBTQ community center. Dave, welcome back to Detroit Today. All right. uh, It has been a wild and long primary cycle, and we're finally here just one day before we get to cast our ballots here in Michigan. Let's talk about your biggest takeaway so far from this process. Sheila, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Biggest takeaway is the intense interest uh, in this election, in this presidential preference primary. For people in Detroit, we generally don't vote in March for anything. So the the fact that people are paying close attention, want to understand how the new rules um, after last, uh, the constitutional changes last year uh, impact them. We had a session on the millage and the presidential preference primary for Citizen Detroit Dinner and Dialogue last week. Over 300 people, RSVP, 200 or so showed up. Uh, it was uh, a great interest, not only in the presidential issue, but in local issues. There's a heightened um, interest in, policy, in public policy this year. I think it's a Trump effect. Yeah, yeah. And as you mentioned, the rules are different uh, here in Michigan, and they do have an effect. I I keep hearing from people who have taken advantage of no reason absentee voting and have cast ballots for candidates who now are not on the ballot anymore. And now they're saying, hey, what do I do? And you can go and, yes. and change that until tomorrow, I right. think, at, at 4 p.m. Yes. or something, right? That's Yes, I mean, and that is, Michigan's one of the few states that permits people who voted for somebody who got out uh, to be able to come recast your ballot. Yeah. Uh, Dave Garcia? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, we have seen both at affirmations with our get out the vote efforts and town halls on absentee voting, trying to educate the community. Um, many more people turned out. And in, in fact, in Super Tuesday, we saw 10% of voters at Super Tuesday were LGBT identified. That's a significant increase over years past. So I agree. We've seen a lot more interest than I've seen uh, in years past. And obviously, the LGBT community is looking for a pro equality uh, candidate. And uh, while we cannot endorse that affirmations. We can certainly educate our community on those candidates that are more pro-equality than others and those that are attacking our community. For example, the yeah. Trump administration. <laughs> right, which is technically on the ballot tomorrow, I guess. Yes, they but, are. Uh, I agree but, with that. Uh, but yeah. the excitement is on the is on the opposite side of the political spectrum, of course. Uh, Osama, what, what, what uh, caught your eye this season? Well, I think that, you know, I, we, we've seen a um, very uh, excited community uh, in the last few days uh, in our community. We've had uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, uh, in, in town for a couple of days, and uh, he had a very uh, energetic uh, crowd at, uh, you know, at one of our uh, schools in Dearborn Salina schools uh, f- filled with with energetic people, you know, energized people. And, uh, of course, John Kerry came in uh, representing uh, Joe Biden. He met with a few people also at the Henry Hotel. And uh, so our community is excited about this election. Uh, as you know, the uh, the Arab American News came out in endorsement 
for uh, for Bernie Sanders. Uh, we did this in 2016, mm-hmm. and we did it again uh, uh, this year. And I think that uh, our community is ready to go out and vote, and, and we're going to be voting in large numbers and uh, hopefully making a difference in this election. So, so back in 2016, uh, the Arab-American community played a huge role in the Democratic primary Correct. here in Southeast Correct. Michigan. I can remember in the the weeks in the run-up to the primary, people telling folks in the Clinton campaign that they needed to come yep. to Michigan and they needed to come specifically to Dearborn because right. she didn't have the kind of support that she thought she did from the Arab American community. And then uh, on Election Day, that that proved to be true, that, 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 that Bernie that, Sanders did really well. That is exactly what's happening in 2020. Uh, apparently, people did not learn. People haven't learned much. their lesson? No, no. <laughs> and, 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 and I think that, uh, you know, in, in, in 2020, in tomorrow, um, there will be another lesson to be learned. You think you feel like uh, the Arab American community will propel Bernie Sanders to another win here in Michigan? I, I am I am hoping that we can do that, despite all these, uh, or in spite of all these, uh, uh, you know, polls that we're seeing right now. So you say the polls this you know, morning say a, he's really far behind. Oh well, I, you know, look in in 2016. I don't know if you you, re, you remember, Stephen, that uh, the polls showed uh, Hillary Clinton 18 points ahead that uh, be, just before the election. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I really, I'm not really a fan of polls. <laughs> um, I, I think that people are going to be, you know, Bernie Sanders is going to surprise a lot of people. So, so give me an idea of what you think it is about Bernie Sanders and his platform that appeals particularly to the Arab American community. Is it immigration or is it just the more progressive agenda? I, I, you know, I think that our community is socially uh, really uh, on the social end. It's uh, conservative. Mm-hmm. Politically, it's liberal, and and that's we've we've talked about this before. I think Bernie Sanders appealed to the community on many fronts. Number one, on the foreign policy, he's not a warmonger, and uh, on on the in, he did not vote for the Iraq War versus you know like Joe Biden voted for the Iraq War. We haven't seen, we haven't even heard from Joe Biden explaining why did he vote for the Iraq War, whether he regrets it or not. We have not heard this from him. I don't know if he said it. I have not heard it personally. And uh, second, you know, like uh, on the on the domestic uh, front, you know, let, let's just keep it on the foreign policy front for for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Biden under the Obama administration was also instrumental in in the war in Yemen, in the war in, in Libya and the destruction of Libya and in Syria and in other places in Sudan as well. So these are on the fro- foreign front, on the foreign policy front, on the domestic issues. You know, our community has been suffering for a long time from the so-called terrorist watch list that's been swelling, you know, like under under the Obama administration and the current administration. Now it's about 1.2 million, and and it's it's increasing by the minute. And most of these people are Muslims and Arabs, and it's easy to get on this list. It's impossible to, to get, get off the list. Off, right. So so we've been talking about these issues, and we've talked to Hillary Clinton when she ran for president. She did not have an answer, and Joe Biden does not have an answer. Bernie Sanders have the answers. And of course, we're, we're concerned about health care. We're concerned about uh, colleges. You know, we, our kids go to college, go to school. So we have like in Dearborn, 70, 70% of the students are Arab American. So we would like to see a college, uh, you know, free college education because it's important. Also, the health care, it's just going through the roof. What's happening right now, Stephen, is our health care is going down and our cost of healthcare is going up, sure. and that doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. We are the most, the greatest country in the face on the face of this earth, and we have this kind of 
healthcare policies. Mm. Uh, Sheila Cockrell, we had you on earlier with uh, with a group of women uh, talking about how they were reacting to the the primary, the Democratic primary, and at that point, we had a lot of women in the field uh, choices for women to make to to maybe elect a woman as president. Tomorrow on the ballot, really, we're down to two guys, two old white guys. Old white guys. Uh, I wonder what what you make of what happened to what originally seemed like a really diverse field, uh, and whether that's going to matter uh, in the primary election, but also in November. Well, first of all, I, I'm not here to endorse anybody. Citizen Detroit sure. is is nominally nonpartisan. I do think a couple of things that need to get said. Uh, need to be said is that th- I do not personally see you can draw a lot of comparisons between 2016 in Michigan and today. There's a fundamentally different dynamic, and that is the number of people who perceive the current occupant of the White House as an ex- existential threat to the fundamentals of democracy. Uh, that's one. Two, in terms of what happened uh, to all the women candidates, I think one of the things there was way just there were way too many people in this to begin with uh, in the primary. It just there were just way too many choices. Uh, and secondly, I th- I think that there are women there. There's 2024, and we need to keep that in mind. And that the foundation has been laid. Uh, there's no reason on the planet for a woman not to be president of this country. It's going to be a question of of timing and of when. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like, for instance, Elizabeth Warren's tough road through this primary, at one point she was the front runner. Correct. Once the, once votes started being cast, she really fell off very quickly. How much do you think sexism and people's unwillingness to contemplate the idea of a woman being president actually played in Warren's downfall? I think it's a, it, was a, it is an important factor. I mean, at the end of the day, part of why Elizabeth Warren got punished was she actually put numbers to what it was going to cost to implement her policies. Bernie Sanders has really slipped through that question until most recently, and even at that point, the numbers are vague. Why is a woman being, who's actually providing you know, real plans, I have a plan for fill-in-the-blank, as Elizabeth Warren did, held to a different standard in terms of, of, of accountability for what it's going to cost. I think that's an expression of the structural uh, sexism and misogyny that's built into um, the political structures in this country. And it, it, but it is changing. I mean, the thing we can't, um, progressive people of all stripes can't get defeated by what has what been this outcome. This, is, this particular situation is different than any other norm, a normal presidential race, and I think that's part of what people are responding to. It's less about Elizabeth Warren, say, or Kamala Harris, and more about who can beat the guy in the White House. Yeah, right. and I keep reminding people that just four years ago, Americans went to the polls and elected right. a woman uh, by three million votes. I mean, it wasn't even close. Correct. Uh, I mean, she didn't end up with the presidency because we got this weird anti-democratic institution right. called the Electoral College, which makes it possible for the loser to, to actually win. win. Uh, but but that's not her fault. And that's actually not the fault of voters. voters. I mean, voters' preference last time was for a woman to be, to be president. president. So it's it's not just possible. It actually happened. I also think that, you know, this question of electability is in the forefront of all of our minds. 
and the voters voted. We have these two old white guys. I agree with that. I struggle. I mean, I've, I usually have voted by now. My ballot is sitting in my passenger seat of my Jeep right now because I am still a bit undecided. <laughs> you haven't decided so, yet, really? Now, here's the thing. Who has the best chance of winning? Is Bernie going to be another Mondale and win one state? Is Joe Biden going to be another Bob Dole, who's just the old establishment guy and, and get killed? Is Bernie going to lose Florida because of his comments about Castro? Is Bi- I mean, I go back and forth all the time. And, I, and who's going to win? And really, it's who's going to win the Midwest. Who is going to win those Midwest states in Florida hmm. will win the presidency? Who has the best chance of doing think, that? And that is where my mind, and I think a lot of people's minds are right now, who has the best chance of winning? And and that's how you'll that's how you'll cast your, bo- your I, vote. I, I that really, is how I will cast my vote. Yeah, I, I really think that uh, uh, what's important in the primary is to vote, be, your vote that should be based on principle. Who is the person that you really truly believe that he will be a best president of the United States at this time? Not who is going to be Trump. Now, we can go to, to November. I mean, this, is, this debate is all over the United States. Should we pick someone who can beat Donald Trump or should we pick a person that can really save this country and bring us together? Hmm. That is the question. The question is, you know, in the primary, I, I encourage people to vote based on principles. Hmm. Who is the best person? Who has the best right. platform? And then when we go to the November, we we are we we already all picked, get together. And, we already and, picked right. a person that based on on the principle. Then we can go out and and vote for for the best person at that time. And I think that you know for us to 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 predict who is going to beat Donald Trump, it, it is impossible at this time. Really, it is. Who thought who thought that Donald Trump would be a president at the you know, and who th- who can even assure us that. Joe Biden can beat Donald Trump. That, that, that is, it's really, it's just a propaganda that we are not really sure that this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it might happen. Well, but Stephen, to but your why, point, but why, 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 will we get together? Is, the question is why the Bernie Sanders cannot beat Donald Trump. Well, well no, one, <laughs> no one here said that. But if, but what about those Bernie bros? Are they going to sit home? Well, because is, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I endorsed. I endorsed. Uh, 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 Bernie I hope Sanders. we can come together. I, I, I endorsed Bernie Sanders. Now I am going to wait between now and November to see, you know, if Joe Biden is a candidate. I wanted to see what Joe Biden can do for our community and for the country. Mm-hmm. No yeah, one Sheila, disagrees. You with were. That. You were. About oh, to... Well, no, I was just going to say uh, uh, that that certainly has been a philosophy for generations. Vote your heart in the primary and your brain, you know, and your head in the in the general. <laughs> That is, this is not a normal circumstance. Mm. And I think a lot of people, that's why there's a lot of people, I waited till after Super <laughs> Tuesday to figure out what I was going to do because it was like, I, the, the choices keep narrowing so quickly that sorting it out is hard. But I'm telling you, this is not the traditional every four years uh, cycle. And I think people are approaching it and with that different mode. Another thing needs to be made, I just want to remind people um, in, in Michigan is when you go to the polls, you're going to be asked to pick your ballot. You have to pick whether you're going to vote in the Democratic primary or if you want to vote in the Republican primary or if you want a nonpartisan ballot only. Right. If you request a nonpartisan ballot, you, you'll, the only issue you will have on there is the DIA proposal. millage, proposal. but that I think is a good. Is, it, it depends on which uh, in Detroit, and that's what I'm school. talking about. Yeah. You could have schools in some yeah. other, yeah. Some yeah. other districts, too, yeah. right? Yeah, in Dearborn Heights, there is there is a, a school. school one. A school yeah. one. The yeah. importance of Michigan matters, 
And to, to your point, the importance of Michigan matters. And even if in my heart I love Bernie, who wins the primary in Michigan, it will go a long way to the general. So I do agree that this I'm glad year that is you, different. In your heart, you love it. Is different. your heart. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I'm just right. saying that I think I agree with you that this year is different. Yeah. It's different. Michigan yeah. especially it matters. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with our all-star panel about tomorrow's primary elections. If you want to join the conversation, call in and tell us how you're feeling about the presidential race ahead of Michigan's primary tomorrow. Have you made up your mind? Are you still thinking about it? It. Let us know how you're thinking and what you're thinking. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you tuned in. My guests are Osama Siblani. He is the publisher of the Arab American News. Sheila Cockrell is the CEO of Citizen Detroit and a former Detroit City Council member. And Dave Garcia is executive director of Affirmations, Michigan's largest LGBTQ community center. We are talking about what we're all going to get up and go do tomorrow. Go and vote in the primary, the presidential primary. We've also got the DIA millage in southeast Michigan, and several communities have school millages uh, to consider as well. Uh, we During the break, of course, the conversation among these three did not end, and we kind of got into it a little over this idea of voting your heart or voting your head. Do you vote for Bernie Sanders because you believe in what he stands for, or do you vote for Joe Biden because you think he has the best chance to beat Donald Trump in November? I think there are a lot of Democrats who are (laughs) contemplating that same question right now and maybe haven't made up their minds as we get ready to go vote tomorrow. If you want to give us an idea of what's going on in your mind, in your heart, before we get to balloting, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put comments there. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Maureen and Troy. Maureen, welcome yes. to the show. Yes, go ahead. Hi. Hey. Uh, well, actually, my concern is whether either of these candidates could win the election. But I think by voting for Bernie Sanders, at least it will bring attention to the dichotomy that exists in the United States right now. I think if Biden were to be elected or be nominated, it would just be more of the same Democrat bashing. But by having uh, Bernie Sanders, at least he will bring a more progressive uh, argument to the table. Yeah. So, Maureen, tell me if 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 you vote for Sanders tomorrow, yeah. and and maybe he wins Michigan, but ultimately he doesn't win the nomination, and Joe Biden is the nominee. Are you committed to voting for whoever the Democrats nominate yeah. in November? Yeah, you are. Yes. I mean, as it's been said, Trump is still the most dangerous president of our time. So, yes, if we can beat Trump, it would be great. Um, But I also think that the younger people will be energized 
to at least doing something. Also, I think we need to really protect our con- uh, congressional seats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get the Democrats out to keep Peterson office and keep all our Democratic uh, Congress people. Yeah. Maureen, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Sue in Corktown, who's thinking about the same question. Sue, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hey. I am 77, and I'm as old as the most of the candidates, and I think they're all too old. And I agree with what Sheila said about Elizabeth Warren and women and Hillary. I just voted absentee for Joe Biden because, and I voted for Bernie four years ago, hmm. but I, I'm afraid, so he really reflects, he and Elizabeth, my views, priorities, but I don't think I, he can win Bernie. Uh, and I think we will lose the Senate again and possibly the House with those 16 or so people that won in 18 on the you know borderline districts. And so I, I did it out of what I consider, and I might be wrong, strategic thinking that we've got to win and get rid of, quote, the rot in the White House. Mm. Wow. Uh, Sue, I, I appreciate the call uh, and the comments. And I think uh, the, the, both callers here were really reflective of of the split that uh, that that I think is going on in a lot of voters' minds. Let's let's go to Keith in Detroit before I get back to the panel. Keith, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, thanks, Robert. So, uh, my comment is more or less: I, I was a uh, fan of Elizabeth Warren because oftentimes she was obviously the only adult in the room hmm. uh, on a lot of the, event, the debates, and uh, um, hands down the most qualified candidate in my opinion. Um, just from uh, her, her voting record and, and what she's uh, done and what she believes uh, from a historical perspective. Everyone's throwing their eggs in the basket behind Bernie, and I think the ultimate issue is, is that I don't feel like the Trump administration and William Barr are done with them yet. So everybody's assuming that this whole uh, Burisma thing is done and over with, and uh, I don't think so. Oh, you're I talking about... You're talking about Biden, not Bernie there, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, yes. I'm sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about Biden. Yeah, okay. so when, 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 uh, if, if he is, uh, uh, turns out to be the, uh, the, the, the candidate, uh, selected, I, I think, uh, Trump is going to, um, and, uh, William Barr is going to do whatever they can to discredit him and bring up things that, uh, that, that doesn't necessarily make sense. It could be a lie, but it's been, uh, obviously shown over, uh, the last, uh, years that if you say something enough people will believe it whether it's true or not hmm. yeah uh keith i i really appreciate uh the call and and the comments there i i, I think lots of people are worried about how the trump administration might attack a biden candidacy and you're right absolutely right about how they would would go about doing that i'm going to go back to the panel here and get their reactions to the callers dave so garcia Steve, go ahead uh first of all we know trump's going to attack either one of them whether it's Biden and, and uh, Hunter Biden or whether it's uh, Bernie and socialism. My mind keeps going back to the Midwest. Now, Biden has significant support from the African-American community. I don't see that going away, and it has shown up in droves, whereas Bernie is going to need as big a turnout, if not more, than Obama had in his first run. And we're not seeing that youth turnout in the primaries, and that worries me. And so if we know that Biden's got the black vote, especially in the Midwest, and Biden is struggling in Florida, or I'm sorry, Bernie's struggling in Florida, those are the strategic, to your caller's point, that's the strategery 
as we've heard, <laughs> that is going on in my mind every hour. <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, Osama? If you believe in Newton's, Newton formula or theory for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. Mm -hmm. If you want it to be a Trump, you got to go to the opposite and equal reaction. You so as far a, left as possible? You can, not far left. I, I, don't think, I don't think in here, you know, we're scaring people of socialism. You know, socialism is in Germany. Socialism is in France. Socialism is in uh, Great Britain. Socialism is in America. Uh, Franklin uh, 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 Roosevelt was a socialist in the sense of the, the social yeah. security I mean, and, and, and every the Medicare. Western democracy has yeah, yeah. a high I mean, degree communism of is another thing right. but socialism democracies the democratic socialism is acceptable and it has been proven that it works and it saves people people's life and advances countries and our country right now in the United States of America we need something to be done about our health care and about our education and about our taxes too and I think that yes, Bernie Bernie Sanders has some radical views, but there are some there there, there should be a radical change in America because we're going downhill, and 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 something has to be done. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I share. First of all, I think um, the in, the entire Democratic Party has moved farther to the left than it's been in the past. I mean, some of the, some of Biden's positions are go past where where um, uh, President Obama stood. So that's one one change that I think's already happened and that was the sweep of the I think the majority of people who were running um uh, in the big in the in this primary for on the democratic side to begin with. But to your point um Osama I do believe there needs to be personally I believe there needs to be fundamental change uh in the in the American economy and in the relationship it it has to to normal every everyday people. We have socialism in the United States for the rich. We don't have it for anybody else. <laughs> the question of how do we get there and what is the timeline for doing that and is the right moment when there is when when the occupant of the White House today represents the kind of fundamental threat to democracy that he does, is this the time to try to go hard left or is it the time to set the stage? We got to believe, remember, this is 2020. There is 2024 and the opportunity to make fundamental restructuring change to the United States, you feel like I is think, then? is going to yeah. be then, okay. not now. We're, we're going to run Sorry. out of time, of, of course. I mean, it's, I would love to have you guys here all Join day. the revolution, <laughs> Sheila. <laughs> Sheila, uh, join the revolution. Join the revolution. All right, so yeah. predictions very quickly before, before we end. David Garcia, who wins tomorrow? Biden. Biden? Biden. I'm hoping that Bernie Sanders will win. But what do you think is going to happen? I think Bernie Sanders is going to win. You think he's going to yeah. win? All right. Okay. Well, Osama Siblani, publisher of the Arab American News, Sheila Cockrell, CEO of Citizen Detroit, and Dave Garcia, executive director of Affirmations, Michigan's largest LGBTQ community center. It is really great always to have you guys here for exciting political conversation on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Be sure to tune in tomorrow when we're going to talk with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson uh, about tomorrow's primary and the new and unique challenges to administering this and other elections here in 2020. It's going to look really different than it has in the past, and she will explain why. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.